You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that song, I've never heard that song before, but that, I think that song really fits uh, where we're going tonight. Because marriage is not easy. Marriage often takes us through very difficult times. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes we feel like in marriage. And yet we come out on the other side. And uh, tonight we're going to sort of walk through the valley <laughs> And we're going to see the, the tough things, and then we're going to come out on the other side, and hope springs eternal. You know, sometimes we miss the obvious when it comes to a lot of things in life. We want to make things more complicated than they are. And this is really the case with marriage. You know, I think we come to an evening like this, or we go on a marriage retreat or to a seminar, and we're looking for that one secret truth that will change our marriage and make it all well. You know, it's part of human nature. We're always looking for the magic pill. You know, the supercharged vitamin or the, the super supplement, the secret supplement that's going to make us look and feel younger. I hate to break the news to you tonight, but no such secret exists, especially when it comes to marriage. Unfortunately, if you want to get your body in shape, it's going to take good old diet and exercise. It isn't going to take a magic pill if you want to feel better physically. But for many of us, a simple statement like that is just too obvious. Well, we already know that. There must be some secret somewhere. And so sometimes, we simply overlook the, the obvious answer that's right in front of us because, you know what, that answer is too simple, but that answer is too hard. Diet and exercise? That's, that's easy, but that's hard. You know, when it comes to getting our marriages in shape, much like getting our bodies in shape, there are no shortcuts. Most of the truths of the Scripture when it comes to marriage are very simple, and yet they're very difficult. A few summers ago, Don and I traveled out west on vacation. We flew into Denver, Colorado, and we rented a car and we just started driving, and we were going to go and visit several of the national parks. And we did, and we had a great time. The very last one we were going to visit was Yellowstone. And on the way there, we were driving through Wyoming. And I don't know if you've ever driven through Wyoming. There's not much there. But we stopped at a little diner called the Branding Iron. It was a t tiny little place in this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. And at, as we started eating, the, the young lady that came to wait on us, well, we started talking to her. She was a junior in high school there in the local town. And, and we started carrying on a conversation with her. And, and so we asked her if she'd ever been to Yellowstone Park. And if she had, could she give us, you know, maybe some secrets that we need to know about, some, some special things that we want to make sure that we visit while we're there so that we don't miss anything. And, and she said, yeah, she had been there. And, and, and then she said, there, there was this one thing that you don't want to miss but she couldn't remember the name. She said, I, I think it's a fountain or something like that. And I, and I said, what, do you mean a geyser? 
And she said, no, no, it was a fountain. And so she walked away. She said, give me a minute or two and I'll think of the name of it. And so a few minutes passed. I went to the counter to pay. And she came running over, kind of with this excited expression on her face. And she said, I thought of it. I thought about it. It's this fountain. And I, I think it was called Old Faithful or something like that. Well, I did everything I could to keep a straight face. To, to, I just wanted to burst out laughing. But, but I was thinking, you're right. We don't want to go to Yellowstone and miss Old Faithful. I did want to break the news to this high school student, though, that it was actually called a geyser. But I thought better of it and backed off. And I told her, thank you. We're going to make sure that we don't miss that one. And so we walked out. You know, sometimes we, we do miss the obvious. Sort of like driving through Yellowstone and missing Old Faithful. We don't want to do that. Well, tonight I want us to focus on some obvious things. I want us to examine four things that can and will damage your marriage. They're not secrets, but many times we overlook them. So this evening, our title of our message is Four Marriage Count Cancers and the Cure That Will Heal Them. We will never experience all that God desires for us to be in marriage if we have a cancerous disease growing in our relationship down inside. This coming September, Don and I will have been married 38 years proving that she is a very patient woman. But about six or seven years into our marriage, we had, at that time, three small preschoolers at home. We had a really big mortgage. For those who aren't old enough to remember, when we bought our first house, the fixed interest rate was 18.5%. So you guys griping over your 4% loans, repent right now. We had this really big mortgage. She was a stay-at-home mom, and at the time I worked in the retail world, and I was an elder in this young, growing church called Calvary Chapel. It was very young at the time. And I would say that we had a good, strong marriage. She is and, and was then a wonderful wife and a wonderful mom. But one evening, something happened that i got to tell you brought a sobering realization to my life. I realized one night when I walked in that the mood, as I walked in the door from work, the mood in the home sort of changed. And I don't mean in a good way. It, it wasn't a good thing. It seemed that when, when I got home, everyone, including Donna, got a little edgy. It was like everyone all of a sudden got a little nervous. And here's what the problem was. They never really knew which dad was going to walk through the door. Was it going to be the happy, fun dad? Or was it going to be the grumpy, angry dad? Now, I, gotta, I wasn't a monster. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But I wasn't very consistent either. And I could be angry about things at times. See, I, I had always worked jobs that required me to be at work a lot. And again, being involved in a young startup church also demanded a lot. And so oftentimes, I would come home at night and to be quite honest with you, I was just tired. And I was grumpy. And sometimes I would take things out on the kids. I would take things out on my wife. Again, I wasn't a monster, but I was just mean. And it came to a head one cold, dark winter night. That night you might say God sort of slapped me in the face quite literally. 
See, at the time, we were heating our home all winter with a fireplace insert that burned wood. And that was the only way we heated our home that winter. And so it was a cold day, and, and I knew when I got home we were going to need wood. And so I walked in the house, and it was cold, and I realized I had some work to do. And so I started grumbling a little bit about you know, what I was going to have to do, and so I was going to have to go outside and chop some wood. And I also knew I needed some kindling to get the fire going because the fire had obviously gone out. And so here's what I did. I went into the garage because I needed kindling, and I got a two-by-four. And of course, I'm kind of mad, so I threw it down on the floor sort of like that. And I, I took my trusty axe, and I just going to let it have it. And I swung as hard as I could, and I hit it right in the dead center. Now, can you know what happened? Any of you guys that have an engineering degree? Well, I did break that piece of wood right in half. This piece went that way, and this piece came right up. Boom. Hit me right in the jaw. Almost knocked me out. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't think, I don't remember verbalizing any profanity in that moment. But I probably did think a few choice words. And I got angrier and angrier, and I stormed into the house, and boy, everybody's miserable at this point, especially Donna. And, and, but, but it was sort of the turning point for me, because I couldn't get how pathetic my behavior was that night out of my mind. I was so disgusted with myself, who I was becoming. Well, the next day, I was driving home down Five Forks Trickham Road, and God spoke to me in a way that I had never heard him before. And he said something sort of like this. Is that what you want? Do you want your wife and children wanting to hide when you come home? Do you want everybody hoping that you're going to be late coming home from work? Do you want them to be afraid of you, or do you want them to love you? I'm not kidding. That is exactly what I felt the Holy Spirit saying. You know what I did? I pulled the car over. You remember where Moon's Nursery was? I pulled into the parking lot there. And I repented right there on the side of the road. And I made that decision that night that I was not going to be that guy anymore. And that when I got home, the first words that were going to come out of my mouth were going to be something kind and encouraging. And I was going to give my wife a hug when I came home from work. Because in that moment, I realized that I had a, allowed a cancer to start growing in my marriage and in my life and in my home. It was a relationship cancer called anger. And that afternoon, I made a vow to God that I was going to cure that cancer and that I was going to get it out of my house. Now, I can't say that I've been perfect in curing that disease. But with God's help and with my wife's patience and feeding me when I come home at night, Things like that, because I get grumpy when I'm hungry. We made some adjustments. I've done better. But here's the question that I've got for you guys tonight, right at the beginning. Is there a relationship cancer in your marriage and in your home that's growing? Right here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul is going to list out four what I call relationship cancers that can attack your home. And then he's going to graciously give us the cure. Thank goodness. These four cancers, I'm going to tell you, they're quiet killers. They're, they're just like the cancers that grow inside our body when they go undetected until the symptoms 
become almost undeniable. Often we refuse to acknowledge them in our marriage until, we, until they've done such terrible damage that we've got to do something about them. So tonight, we're going to climb into the CT scanner of God's Word. And I want you to be honest as we go through this with yourself and with your diagnoses. It's going to hurt for a moment. It always does. Listen, when we have to look in the mirror and say, wow, there's something going on in my life that I don't like, it hurts. But there's a treatment coming. Let's start with verse 25 of chapter 4. There Paul says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first cancer that can destroy our marriage is the cancer of dishonesty. Lying to each other. Hiding things from each other. Listen, nothing will destroy your marriage and your emotional closeness to your spouse faster than dishonesty. Dishonesty, it strikes at the very heart of marriage, which is what? It's trust. Every healthy marriage is built on the foundation of trust. That's, that's what it all builds on. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, God, when He started marriage, He said this, He said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. You know why? Because in that moment, they trusted each other deeply. And it's amazing how trust, or the lack of, can play havoc on our relationship. On the physical side of our relationship, absolutely. Nothing will destroy the physical intimacy in a marriage quicker than lying and deceiving your, your partner. Marriage problems in the bedroom, man, they rarely start there. They always start somewhere else. And lying and deceiving your spouse is a great place to create major problems. Remember, as, as soon as Adam and Eve were infected with sin, what was the first thing they did? We know. They covered up. They put on fig leaves or clothes. And this will be true in your marriage, guys. At the first sign of dishonesty between one of you, I can tell you what the other person is going to do. They're going to start covering up. Emotionally, yeah, they're going to start pulling away. Physically, yes, they're going to start covering up. They're not going to be naked and not ashamed. They're going to be naked and afraid because you're not being honest. Remember, the opposite of trust is fear. Which is, which is more dominant in your marriage? That's a great question to ask tonight. Is it trust or is it fear? The two will not coexist together. I promise you that. One will always drive out the other. Trust will drive out fear or fear will drive out trust. Years ago, I had a friend whose wife, every month, would spend large amounts on their credit card. And he didn't know about it. And you know what she, she would do? She would hide the bills from him. So that when he came home, he didn't ever see him until the credit card company started calling. And I, and I use the word plural because she had also gone behind his back and she had gotten some credit cards in their names that he didn't even know about. And he wakes up one day when he starts getting these calls and he finds out that he's thousands of dollars in debt and didn't know it. It wrecked their marriage. It eventually ended their marriage. 
See, trust is the most precious and valuable element of our marriage. Guard it at all costs. Trust takes years to build, but boy, it can be destroyed in seconds. If this is the cancer that is festering in your life, root it out. Confess it. Make the decision to change. Now, certainly cheating on your spouse is the ultimate form of dishonesty and and lying. But trust can be broken long before adultery ever happens. Never give your spouse a reason to doubt you. Honesty is always the best answer. Honesty is not always the easiest thing, but it is always the best thing. It will keep you from breaking your trust because once you break it, it's very hard to put it back together. There's a second cancer found in verse 26. There Paul writes, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath nor give place to the devil. A second cancer is uncontrolled anger. This is the cancer that was creeping into my marriage. Guys, listen, let me, let me speak specifically to you guys for just a second. I think we greatly underestimate the damage that our temper does to our homes. To our wives first, but also to our children. God created our homes to be a refuge. But anger turns a home into a prison. A place where the inmates hide from the warden. Are they hiding from you in your house? And here's the first sign that you might have anger issues in your home. Does the atmosphere of your home change when you walk in? Does it suddenly change? If you're not sure, ask your wife. But just make sure you don't yell at her if she says yes. Understand, godly, righteous anger is not a cancer. Sometimes anger is a good thing. You know, There are times in our lives where we need to get angry. There were times when, when our children were growing up that they would do things and, and, and uh, say things or act a certain way towards one another that, or maybe towards their mom that I had to get angry about. You know why? Because I needed that anger to motivate me to discipline them appropriately. There are certain times that anger is a good thing. But uncontrolled anger or, or anger that, that, that is excessive, it's a cancer. That inappropriate anger that causes me to say things and to do things that become harmful to those around me is always deadly. See, when my anger gets out of control, my words become like daggers. They're cutting and they're cruel. When we become loud and intimidating, trust me, it will do damage to those around us. We do a lot of harm to our marriage, and to our children when we explode at them. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, I think it's a verse that every husband ought to memorize. It says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, this was the verse that God used to speak to me. This is the verse that came to my mind as I was riding home that day. As I sat there on the side of the road, it was like God hit me between the eyes and, 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 I, and I kept thinking, what do I want to produce in my children? And the answer was easy. I want a, a love and a desire to follow my God 
to be what is produced in their life. But my temper and my anger was destroying the one thing that I wanted to produce in their life. Do you want your children to follow your God? Are you trying to produce the righteousness of God in their lives? Trust me, your wrath, in other words, your excessive anger, your out-of-control anger, will not produce that. All it will produce in your children and in your wife is anger and rebellion and bitterness. It will make them damaged and it will scar them. Now, I want to say one thing before we move on, and that is anger is not just a husband problem. I think many wives struggle with anger as well. These outbursts of, of wrath, these outbursts of anger. They attack their husband with a strong venom that undermines his authority and causes his children to begin to disrespect him. Listen, ladies, when you attack your husband in front of your children, especially in front of your daughters, you're teaching them that husbands do not need to be respected or followed. In other words, you're destroying the very picture in your home of submission to God that He wants to paint in your marriage. See, anger is like skin cancer. You know what skin cancer does? It disfigures and destroys the beauty that God wants to create in a marriage. Have you known somebody who's struggled with skin cancer on their face and they go to surgery after surgery? My dad went through this and every time he'd come back, his face was a little more disfigured because they had to cut chunks out of it. But see, that's what anger does in our marriage. It disfigures the picture that God's trying to paint. It's a cancer. If this is the cancer that has attacked your marriage, guys, again, root it out. Confess it. Agree with God that it is not what you want in your family and make the decision to change. The third cancer is found in verse 28. There, Paul says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Now, this, this third cancer is what I'll call the cancer of irresponsibility. You see, people steal because they don't want the responsibility of a job. Stealing's a shortcut. It makes life temporarily easier for the lazy and the irresponsible, but it robs everyone else around them and makes their life harder while it's making his life easier. Laziness and irresponsible irresponsibility on the part of a spouse can be a cancer in marriage. See, what happens is one person refuses to carry and share the load that they're supposed to be carrying in that marriage, and so it breeds bitterness and resentment in the other spouse. You know, guys, the Bible's clear. The husband is to take the lead in his home. But remember, when the Bible speaks of leading, it always speaks of servant leadership. In other words, leadership by example. To be the example, you've got to be willing to do what? You've got to be willing to work and to serve and to be out in front doing the hard things. And then a wife, well, she's called to support and to follow that leadership. Again, the implication is that she's busy working and assisting him to accomplish what the family needs to accomplish. And as a unified team, wow, they can take on the challenges of marriage and family together and they can accomplish so much. But in many marriages that I see today, the team has become dysfunctional. Why? 
usually because one or both partners have failed to fulfill their role. The husband refuses to lead and to provide for his family. And this forces the wife to step forward and to to step into a role that God didn't want her to assume. Or it could be the wife who refuses to come along and support her husband's efforts. She wants him to do everything. She doesn't want to really grow up and step into the responsibility and bear the burdens of the home that God's called her to. He ends up fighting on both fronts, at home and at work. She abandons him to the struggle. And he's got to carry all the burdens. Or he abandons her to the struggle. And she bears all the burdens. Marriage is hard enough when husbands and wives are functioning together as a team. But it's a big problem when one of the couples simply refuse to accept the God-given role that they have. They don't want to engage that God-given role because they're tired. They're lazy. And so what do they do? Listen, they rob their spouse of the support that God had designed them to be for that person. See, God designed your husband, your wife, God designed them so that you could come and you could share that burden together like, I hate the imagery, but like two oxen who are sharing the load of a yoke. If one of them lays down on the job, either everything stops or one person is toting a lot of weight along that they weren't designed to carry. Laziness is a sin. Proverbs 10, chapter 10, verse 26 says, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who sent him. When you live with a lazy spouse, it's like having smoke in your eyes. You know how irritating that is? It burns. It's a constant irritation. That's what it's like living with somebody who's not carrying their weight. See, the wife's primary responsibility in the Bible is to be the manager of the home. Wives, are you bearing that responsibility? Are you carrying that burden? Husbands, your primary responsibility is to manage a job and to to carry the financial responsibilities for that home. Are you bearing that responsibility? Now, hey, should the husband be helping out at home and cleaning? Absolutely. And should the wife help out with the finances and holding down the cost of the home and and doing all those things? Absolutely we should. Again, we're a team, guys. We're trying to bear this burden and this weight together. I know when Donna stayed at home, man, there were many, many nights when she would be up at night typing and transcribing after everybody went to bed till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning working uh, because she was just trying to help us have enough money to survive. I used to call her the coupon queen because, man, she clipped more coupons just so we could afford the grocery that four kids were causing us. See, we both understood that we're a team and we got to work on this thing together. But irresponsibility is a cancer to marriage. Hey, are you robbing your spouse of the partner that God designed for them? We can color it a lot of ways. But some of us are simply refusing to be responsible to the things that God has put in our court and said, I want you to handle this. And we've said, no God, I don't want to handle that. And when we do that, we need to understand that we're stealing from our spouse. Verse 29 gives us the fourth cancer. 
There Paul writes, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupt communication, this fourth cancer, is a killer of many marriages. Now let's first answer the question, what does Paul mean when he says corrupt communication? Literally, the word corrupt, it means putrid or rotten. Every once in a while, we let onions rot in our onion box. Have you ever done that? And then you go in and you open the box, and those things just stink. I mean, the whole house suddenly just smells like rotten onions. Here's what corrupt communication is. It's any form of communication that harms or pollutes the hearer. In other words, it just stinks. Corrupt communication goes by words like sarcasm and gossip and profanity and put-downs and mocking and yelling, intimidation or exaggeration. It uses words like always and never. These are all examples of communication that when they're practiced in your home, they're going to do damage to your family. And unfortunately, they're all too common in marriages today. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. See, rotten words never heal. They only do damage. Sarcasm. It's not healing your marriage. It's doing damage to your marriage. Profanity. You know, sarcasm, verbal attacks, profanity, they hit our spouse or our children like a sword in the side and they just pierce into them. And, and, they, and they go deep. And you know what? They leave scars. And let me, let me just say a word about profanity before we leave. You know, profanity has become so much a part of our culture, it is frightening. So much so that it is even becoming part of the church. And it's not good. It's a form of corrupt communication that does damage to both the speaker and the hearer. See, profanity and pornography, they're very, very similar in that we think they're victimless crimes, but they are not. Both of them sink into our lives and pollute us at the very core of who we are. They both confuse our identity. Both of them poison every relationship that we seek to develop in our lives. Guys, avoid those two things. They're dangerous. Listen, all couples fight. But have you learned to fight without leaving scars? Disagreements don't have to end in emotional bloodshed. But so often they do because we use words that slice and dice our spouse and then we wonder why they're bleeding. Paul says that our words, they need to edify or build up our spouse. The one thing that would help us in this area is to simply think before we speak. Learn to consider this question. Before you say anything, ask this question. What effects are my words that I'm about to say going to have on my wife or on my child? If you'll just slow down long enough to think about that. You know, I'm angry. I'm upset with my teenager. But what effect are these words going to have on them long term? 
just pausing and asking that question will keep us from saying a lot of harmful things. Donna's biggest complaint about me through the years concerning our marriage was she always would say, James, it's not what you said, but how you said it. Husband says, your wife ever said that one to you? In other words, it's always the tone that hurt her. My tone would, would either be accusing or dismissive. Or, you know, I tend to get loud when I, when I get excited and want to make a point. But my being loud was an intimidating thing to her. You, you can be honest and you can be passionate, but we've got to learn to speak the truth in love. And listen, love is communicated by our tone. Or anger is communicated by our tone. They can be, you can say the same thing, and that tone can totally interpret those words differently. It's interesting that this is the one thing, corrupt communication, that Paul says grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And maybe that's because God, more than any of us, understands the power of words. You remember Genesis chapter 1? God spoke and He created. His words, the, the creative power of His words. In, in John chapter 1, we find what? Jesus described as what? The Word becoming flesh. Words are very powerful. They can heal or they can destroy. And it is, it is our deadly words that grieve the Holy Spirit. And they need to grieve us as well. Especially when we use them on the people that we love. God says some tough things in the Bible. But it's interesting that God always tempers His words with grace and with mercy. Every time he says something through a prophet. He, he, he's, and he says some strong things, but eventually he'll temper those words with hope and with kindness and with mercy. What about your words to each other? Have you and your spouse formed habits of ugly communication? And that's what happens. We, we, we get into habits of how we're going to communicate with each other. Guys, we need to be warned that the power in those words is strong. And they affect the person hearing. Now, all four of these cancers are very quiet killers. They kill the emotional connection that's happening between us and our spouse. They destroy the trust. They destroy the closeness. They destroy the very heart of the relationship in our marriage. And they creep in very slowly. You know, they, they, they don't hit us like a, like a tidal wave. No, they, they just creep in little by little until all of a sudden we wake up one day and we're just infected with these kind of behaviors in our marriage. But thankfully, Paul's going to give us an answer. But before he does, he gives us one last thought just to make a point. He continues and he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, he wants to reiterate one more time, these things need to have no place in our life, especially not in our marriage. And if they're there, 
we need to make a determination to change. We need to start tonight saying, Lord, help me. i got to get this out of my life. Now, God never tells us to take something out of our lives without giving us something to replace them with that is far better. And that's what He does in the final verse of this chapter. He gives us the universal cure for every cancer that will wreck your marriage. And here it is in verse 32. He says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. I call this the marriage verse because I believe it is the single most important verse in the Bible related to marriage. It is the old faithful of marriage and family. Guys, you don't want to miss it when you go through your marriage. Now some of you are thinking though, look, I've read this verse 50 times. This is too simple. This is, you, you know, I want a secret and you're telling me to be kind. You're telling me to be tender-hearted and forgiving. I need more than that. You know what? I'm going to tell you without hesitation. Learning to be kind to each other will radically change your marriage. Radically change your marriage. Look at the contrast that Paul paints here between these callous behaviors and kindness. He says, we need to lay down dishonesty and we need to pick up kindness. We need to put down our out-of-control anger, and we need to unleash kindness into our marriage. We need to end being lazy and irresponsible, and we need to exercise some kindness. We need to stop ugly, cruel communication and begin speaking kind words to one another. I'm going to say it again. Listen, nothing, nothing will change your marriage more than just practicing kindness to each other every day. Nothing will melt that cold heart. Nothing will rekindle the warm feelings that you have towards each other. Nothing will do it faster than simply deciding you're going to go home and be kind to each other. A kind word. A tender hug. A thoughtful gesture. Gentleness rather than aggression. Compassion for each other rather than judgment. These all change our marriage almost instantly. But that's not enough. Kindness will get you only so far. But then Paul says you've got to have something else. You've got to have a tender heart. Because you know what's happened as these cancerous behaviors have crept into your marriage? You're getting, you're getting hard-hearted towards each other. That's what happens over time. We get hurt by our spouse, and so what do we do? We begin to build up walls, walls of resentment. We begin to want to keep them out here where we can be safe. But if we're going to allow our heart to change, we've got to allow our heart to be open to softening. We've got to be willing to open back up our arms and embrace this person that our cold heart has said, I don't want you. And it's not easy. Listen, when you've been practicing destructive behaviors for a long period of time and you've felt pain and, and, and they're strong motivators to protect yourself. You do tend to close off. And yet Paul says here, we've got to work at staying tender-hearted. In other words, we've got to be willing to be open. 
And then he, he gives a third ingredient. He says we must be willing to forgive each other. And I can hear you thinking, but you don't know what he's done or what she's done. You don't know what he said or what she said. God does. And God also knows what you've done and what you've said. And you know what? He's forgiven you. He's forgiven you. Why are you unwilling to forgive them? You know, Jesus said a remarkable thing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He'd been talking about prayer. And at the end of that little section, he says this. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm going to tell you, when we pastors sit around and talk about a verse like this, you know what we spend a lot of time doing? Trying to figure out exactly what Jesus is saying, because that's a, that's a hard verse. You know, and, and we try to figure out ways to sort of explain away what he said. You know, how could Jesus actually say, if we don't forgive, God's not going to forgive us? Theologically, we struggle with that. But I'm going to suggest to you tonight that we ought to just forget about trying to interpret what Jesus said and just take it at face value. And ask ourselves the question, if God, if I want God to forgive me, maybe, just maybe, I need to forgive the person around me. Now I notice they put up on the screen the question that I want you to write down tonight. Put it back up there, Laura. How would I like to be married to me? You ever ask that question? I think that is a fantastic question to ask from time to time. Write it down in the back of your Bible, and every once in a while just flip back there so that you see it. How would I like to be married to me? If you were on the receiving end of what you're giving out, how would you like to be married to you? If you were the one sitting at home while you're out doing what you're doing, how would you like to be married to you? If you were the one saying the things that you're saying, how would you like to be married to you? If the answer is no, I really don't want to be married to me, then you should have a fresh dose of compassion tonight for that person sitting next to you. You know, that's sort of the question that I felt that day sitting on the side of Five Forks Trickle. How would I like to be married to me? And my answer was, i got to change. I've got to make a commitment to kindness. I've got to make a commitment to some encouraging words and to some honesty, and to carrying my load in my marriage and to controlling my anger. I've got to make a commitment to these things. Because healing is not far away if I'm willing to take the right medicine and use it in my life. And that's the hope tonight, guys. Listen, it doesn't take a lot of change in the way you treat each other to have dramatic changes in the way you feel about each other. That is just truth. And I think God created us that way on purpose because He knew that we were going to be rough with each other. Sometimes for long periods of time, we were going to be rough with each other. And He needed us to respond to kindness in a way that would heal us quickly. And so He tells us, here's the cure. 
kindness. Stay tenderhearted. Be willing to forgive. And if I'll do those things, God will heal our marriage. And, you know, and I'm going to just close with this thought. I have a feeling that most of the marriages in this room are not in dire straits. They're probably not. As a matter of fact, I would imagine most of the marriages in this room are fairly healthy marriages. But I would also surmise this. There's probably not a marriage in this room that doesn't have some struggles. And that doesn't struggle with at least one of these things we talked about today. Because we're all human. We're all human. And when we said I do to that person who is imperfect, and when we agreed that we would step into this relationship as imperfect as we are, there were going to be some problems. And so, the cure still applies. Kindness, tenderhearted, forgiveness. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.